Hey everyone, I'm George Davis, and I want to thank you for joining us as we continue our journey through the Old Testament. This is a standalone video. Hopefully you had the opportunity to really celebrate with us as a church in the season of baptism. So we really celebrate God's work in an ongoing way in the life of our church. Now, as we continue our journey through the Old Testament in the series called Love This Book, if you've got a Bible, just join with me in turning to Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31. As you're doing that, let me just remind you of what we've seen so far as we've been going through the storyline of the Old Testament. We've seen the the story of the kings. Remember, Israel comes into the land. They ask for a king. We see a time of united monarchy when the, the nation is unified. Then the nation divides due to a variety of internal factors, and we end up with the northern kingdom called Israel and the southern kingdom called Judah. And ultimately, over time, due to sinfulness and unfaithfulness. The the northern kingdom is is conquered by the Assyrians, and eventually the southern kingdom is conquered by the Babylonian empire. And with that, many people from Judah are then taken into captivity in Babylon. Now, as all that is unfolding, particularly in the southern kingdom, one of the prophets who lives during this experience is this famous prophet we know of as Jeremiah. He lives during the end of the southern kingdom. And even though he, he anticipates what's going to happen, he anticipates this Babylonian conquest, even in the midst of all of that, he also has a message of hope. Beginning in chapter 30, we uh, enter a section of Jeremiah's prophecy known as the Book of Consolation, because these, these chapters are, are filled with promises that God will not abandon his people, filled with promises that even though they're living in a foreign land, God is going to continue to be at work. However, even as you read these these chapters and these promises, I think there's a a lingering question. And, And that lingering question is this. Even if the people do ultimately return to the land, aren't they just going to continue to make the same mistakes they've made before? After all, if you've been reading through the storyline of the Bible, you see this recurring pattern of of God delivering, but his people failing to live up to their calling. And I think those kinds of questions, those issues, lead to what you might describe as an underlying tension in the storyline of Scripture, particularly the storyline of the Old Testament. And, And here's what I mean by that. On on the one side of this tension are those passages of Scripture that are filled with the amazing promises of God. For instance, remember this passage in in Genesis 12 that we read earlier. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. So there are these texts that speak of God's rich promises, and it, it seems to be an unconditional promise. And yet there are other passages. For instance, this one we read in Deuteronomy. And as we've said before, Deuteronomy is always running under the history of Israel. It's it's Israel's constitution. And here we read in Deuteronomy 30, This day I call the heavens and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings, notice this, and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. So here... Moses is saying you definitely have to make a choice and and there are consequences that come with your decision. So do you you begin to see this tension? I mean, on the one hand, it seems like 
God's relationship with his people is unconditional. It's based on his promises. On the other hand, it seems like, well, it seems like it is conditional because they're warned there will be consequences if they disobey. So, so really, which is it, right? Is, 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 is the relationship with God basically unconditional or is it conditional? I think even today, this is, this is a basic question that we can have as we relate to God. Is it basically unconditional, our relationship, or, or is it conditional? I think the truth is most people gravitate to one view or the other. Some people, I think, really resonate with the idea that our relationship with God is it's conditional. They focus on the commands of Scripture. The right? Bible is clear as to how you are to act and how you have to obey. Yes, God loves us, but to experience that love, you have to obey. Others kind of focus on the unconditional promises of the Bible, right? God loves you regardless of how you mess up your life. God loves you, and that's, that's all that matters. So here's this tension. I think some people, they focus on the commands of the Bible, and they see a God of law. Other people focus on the promises of the Bible, and they see a God of love. Now, as, as I said, most of us, I think, kind of gravitate to, to one or the other. So if that's the case for you, which side to, do you gravitate to? You know, I really see a God of law. I really see a God of love. And maybe you fall on one side of this equation. Where do you, where do you see yourself in this tension? If you see yourself on one side or the other, please understand that with each perspective come certain dangers. I mean, on on the one side, I think if if you just see God in terms of God being a God of law, you can become a legalist. Likewise, I I can become someone trapped in fear, fearful that I'm not measuring up, fearful that every challenging circumstance in my life is directly the result of my own failures. On the other hand, if I, if I simply see God as a God of love, I, there's the danger of, of really becoming a relativist. It really doesn't matter what I do or how I act because God's going to love me anyway, and that can actually lead to me becoming self-indulgent and self-centered. And, and what happens if everyone operates that way? What's that going to do to my relationships? So, so in some sense, there, there are dangers in getting stuck on one side of this tension. But that now brings us back to what we're going to see in Jeremiah. You see, Jeremiah's message isn't simply, you know what, God's going to bring his people back after this exile, after they go into Babylon. But Jeremiah's message is something more radical than that. Jeremiah's message is this, God is going to do something radically new. And and, and in doing something radically new, (laughs) we're going to see that the two sides of this tension, right? The tension of law and love. We're going to see that in what God is doing, the two sides of this tension actually come together. And so that brings us to Jeremiah chapter 31. And we see that ultimately this tension is resolved in what Jeremiah describes as the new covenant. Now, let's read this passage together. Just follow along, beginning in verse 31. Jeremiah says this, 
The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make, notice this, a new covenant, right? A new agreement, a new relationship with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will no longer be like the old covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. Now, if you're working off of a hard copy of the Bible or even with a Bible on some kind of mobile device, I hope you're in the, path, in the habit of marking your Bible. And if that's the case, let me highly encourage you to highlight this passage of Scripture. This passage of Jeremiah where he talks about the new covenant is one of the most important passages in all of the Bible. For instance, you fast forward to Jesus' Last Supper recorded in Luke's gospel. And he, as he's taking these elements together with his disciples, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. In other words, Jesus is going back to Jeremiah 31 and saying, if you really want to understand what I'm doing, you need to understand this passage. Now, to help us understand what Jeremiah, Jeremiah is saying here, let me, let me basically just diagram the flow of this passage for you kind of show you what it looks like in diagram form. First note that the new covenant will, will not be like the old covenant. And, and the emphasis in really in this part of this section is that the, the old covenant was broken. So God is going to do something new. Under the old covenant, you engage God through the sacrificial system. And so, you know, as part of your ongoing relationship with God, you brought sacrifices to the temple and, and you worked through a priest to be in right relationship with God. But now God is going to do something new. So what is that new thing that God is going to do? Well, notice a couple of elements that Jeremiah highlights when he talks about this new way God is going to relate to people. First of all, it's, he's, he's going to write the law on their hearts. Now, some have suggested, suggested you know, this. there's kind of a analogy with how God wrote the Ten Commandments here, right? He wrote the Ten Commandments on stone, but God is now going to actually write His Word on our hearts. And I think the contrast here is important because really the Old Testament Torah, the Old Testament law, the Old Testament instruction worked from the outside in. But now the prophet is saying God is going to work from the inside out. You know, for many of us, I think it's easy to think of Christianity this way, that, you know, Christians believe in God and they try to live morally. That's what Christianity is about. They try to live a good life. Christianity is about moral responsibility and moral reformation. Christians are just people that seem to work harder at it, perhaps, than other people. But that's not what the New Covenant says. Christianity isn't about moral reformation. It's about moral transformation. That is, God is going to actually work in our lives from the inside out. You know, as you read the Old Testament, a a recurring theme is is the idea of hardness of heart or stubbornness of heart. 
It's the argument that our root problem is found at the core of who we are. There is a bentness, a brokenness, that, that at the core of who I am, I am bent inwardly towards myself, towards selfishness. So what Jeremiah is saying, he's saying, you know what, one day God's going to work differently. God is going to work at the core level of who we are. And we learn later in in the storyline of the Bible that what he is anticipating is this new work of God's Spirit. This new work of God's Spirit that becomes significant as we become followers of Jesus Christ. That when we put our faith and trust in Him, God's Spirit really begins working at us in the process of transformation. Not just so that we can keep the rules, but to truly transform us from the inside out. You know, in some ways, Jesus alluded to this, I think, in, in his famous Sermon on the Mount. You remember what he said in part of that sermon? He said, you know, you've, you've heard it said, don't murder. But I've come to deal with your anger. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But, but I've come to help you deal with your lust. In other words, Jesus is, is describing this new work of transformation that can actually occur through the work of the Spirit at the core of who we are. It's the process of growing in this relationship. And that really leads us to the next thing that he says, right? God's going to work from the inside out. And he also says that central to this new covenant is is a personal relationship with God. I will be their God. They will be my people. Of course, in so many ways, this is a promise running throughout Scripture. This is what God is doing to bring us into relationship with himself. Likewise, he says, they're, they, they're going to have knowledge of God. And, um, and I think one dimension of what the prophet is, is getting at is this, that your relationship with God no longer has to be mediated through someone else. No longer will you have to work through a priest as part of your relationship with God. And the argument of the New Testament is there, there is only one mediator that we need, and that is Christ himself. We don't, we don't have to work through other people. So if, if your approach to Christianity is basically, you know, I'm going to live on secondhand knowledge. <laughs> if that's your approach, that's not the new covenant. You know, I'm just, going to go, I'm just going to go to church and listen to others tell me about God, and that's enough for me. But that's, that's not what is being described here. So Jeremiah says, you know what? God is going to do something new. He's going to work from the inside out and write his law in their hearts. And he's bringing people into relationship with him so that they know him and know him personally. And of course, all of this is grounded in the reality that he is doing a work of forgiveness. And once again, this anticipates the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ. Now, I know sometimes... You know, as Christians, we will say something like, you know, I'm not perfect, I'm what? I'm just forgiven. And at one level, that's true. But, but I think it's incomplete. And if we, think about, if we think about Christ's death and his work on our behalf simply in those terms, I think we actually diminish the nature of God's work. Because you see here, God's forgiveness which anticipates the work of Christ, it's not just about paying a debt. It's not just about delivering us from punishment. It's about transformation. It's about a new life. It's about a relationship with God. 
And so we begin to see here that really through this new covenant, this new way of engaging people made possible through Jesus Christ, that you know what? God isn't simply working for us. He is also working in us and through us. So Jeremiah says, this is coming. This is how God is going to ultimately relate to people in a new way. Now, if that's the nature of the new covenant, what is it? What does it look like for us to live in light of the new covenant? What does it look like for us to live this out? Well, actually, the book of Hebrews gives us a great deal of insight on what exactly that looks like. I mean, if you go to Hebrews, and please just turn with me now to Hebrews 10. I'll I'll start by referencing Hebrews 8. You go to Hebrews 8, and you see Jeremiah chapter 31, 31 to 34, quoted in full in in Hebrews 8. It's the longest Old Testament quotation in the New Testament. And then again, in chapter 10, the author is talking about the, the wonder of the sacrifice that Christ has made on our behalf. And once again, he quotes Jeremiah 31. So, you know, Hebrews shows us how important this passage in Jeremiah is. And ultimately, I think what he is showing us as as you get to Hebrews 10, verses 19 and following is the author of Hebrews is saying, look, in light of this new way that God is doing things, in light of this new covenant, here's how you are to live. Here's how you are to live that out. And in Hebrews 10, 19 and following, he really gives us three commands, three expectations. First of all, he says this. Live in pursuit of God. Let me just read a part of this to you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings." having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So the first thing the author of Hebrews says, in in light of what God is doing in the new covenant, we need to live in pursuit of him. Now, let's go back to that tension that we talked about a few minutes ago. Remember, some of us kind of see God primarily in terms of law. Others of us see God primarily in terms of love. So how does this passage help us process that tension? As I said, you know, when we see God in terms of just being a God of of love, there there can be dangers that come along the way. I think we can be in danger of, of overlooking God's holiness and his justice. We may be in danger of minimizing the reality of sin and its implications. And... And yet when we look at this passage, I think it, it, it challenges a, a simplistic view of, of simply viewing God as a God of love. Because the, the author uses this, te- this imagery of entering the ancient Jewish temple. And he says, the only way to enter the temple now with confidence, that is to enter into the presence of God, is, is to do so because of Christ's death. In other words, the the author is saying that sin has to be dealt with seriously. We can't pretend it doesn't matter. God is just a God of love. It doesn't matter. No, the author is saying God has dealt with it. 
sincerely and fully through the death of Jesus Christ. Now let's think about those who kind of pursue God simply as a God of law. They operate from the expectation, you know what, I've got to achieve. I've got to earn my relationship with God. But I think in this passage, we're, we're confronted with the depth of his love. This passage says, you know what, you are to approach God with confidence because we've been cleansed of a guilty conscience. So what we are seeing here is, is in a real sense, in the new covenant, the, the, these themes of law and love come together. Yes, God is a God of love who loves us deeply, but there are expectations that come with how he operates. He deals with us justly and through his holiness, yet he has done that through the work of Jesus Christ. And that means as these themes of law and love come together that we can now pursue God with confidence as followers of Jesus. I like the way Tim Keller describes this phenomenon. He says the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. And notice this. In encouraging us to kind of come boldly into God's presence, the author is saying God's work through Christ doesn't simply provide forgiveness. It provides a restored relationship. Because here, the author highlights that through the blood of Christ, right, through the sacrifice of Christ, uh, we are brought into God's presence. Once again, if we say, you know, Christ died to forgive us of our sins, that's true. But that's not the whole story. Because God isn't simply working for us. He's also working in us and through us. So to live in light of the new covenant is to recognize that, you know what, my life is now grounded in this new relationship. This new relationship that gives us identity, that gives us a sense of purpose, that gives us the power of His Spirit. And we are to pursue this relationship. This is one of the reasons why we've encouraged you to participate with us in this series as we go through the, the Old Testament. It's one of the reasons why is our, we go through our next series, which is going to be in the book of Colossians. I'm actually going to invite you to join with me in praying through the book of Colossians as we go. So the author says, if, if you're going to take the, the, old cover, or excuse me, the new covenant seriously, you need to live in pursuit of God. But then he says you need to live in hope. Verse 23, he writes this, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. He says, look, even as you pursue this relationship, I want you to hold a tight grip on what God is doing. What he has started, he will complete. Now, I think at times we get frustrated at our situations. Let's just think about all the frustration we've experienced about about the pandemic over the last year, the varieties of ways in which we've experienced loss, for some inconvenience. For others, the loss has been more serious. For some of us, we've even known people who have died during this experience. And somehow in the midst of all that, it's, it's easy to lose hope. And, and the author of Hebrews is not naive to those kinds of circumstances. In fact, there, there are clues that the very people who are receiving this letter are themselves going through some challenging experiences. And yet in the midst of that, the author says, look, this God who has brought you into relationship, 
He's going to be faithful to finish what he started. So hold tightly to the hope that we have. Then finally he says this. We live in pursuit of God, we live in hope, and we are to live in community. Verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And he talks about the importance of being together and being in relationship. And ultimately, I think he's saying this, by design, the new covenant is creating a new community. (laughs) When you have one, you get the other. When you have new covenant, you get a new community. And we are to live in light of this. We aren't intended to do this on our own. In, in the midst of all that can distract us, discourage us, we, we need one another. And truthfully, if, if we're going to take the new covenant seriously, we have to take our new relationships seriously. This, this is one of the reasons we encourage you to not simply participate in corporate worship, but to get connected in, in some kind of group environment. It's an opportunity to build relationships, to, to live out the one another's of Scripture. And I think, you know, even in my own life over the last year, even as an introvert, I've come to a deeper appreciation of the importance of relationships. For me, it was just great last Sunday night to, to sit in the living room with the other people in my Live, Love, Lead group, to talk about some things we're learning, to, to laugh with one another, to pray with one another, to encourage one another. And by the way, if that's not your experience yet, if you really haven't had the opportunity to get connected here, I would encourage you to participate in our next starter event for our small groups, our Live, Love, Lead groups, and that's coming up at 2 p.m. in the back parking lot on March 21st. I think particularly given all that's happened over the last year, given the different ways that you and I have been stretched, exhausted, (laughs) discouraged, we, we just need, we need people that are for us. And we, we need to be for one another. Interestingly, uh, one author who has talked about the importance of biblical community wrote this. And this, this statement really struck me. He said this, and I quote, We have the responsibility to ensure that others hear what they may not be able to tell themselves. Think about that for a moment. We have the responsibility for others to hear what they may not be able to tell themselves. You know, at times, my inner critic, I don't know about you, but at times my inner critic becomes very loud. And particularly in those times, it becomes easy to lose sight of my identity in Christ. It becomes easy to lose sight of the power and the wonder of the gospel. And I, I just need encouragement, the presence, the relationships of other people. Those situations where just in the context of relationships and corporate experience and in group experience and one-on-one experiences, I'm just reminded of the truth of the gospel through the relationship I have with other believers. So the author says this. This new covenant that Jeremiah wrote about, even in the midst of all the chaos that was going on around him, this new covenant is now at work. It's made possible through the work of Jesus Christ. And when you become a follower of Jesus, you're now part of it. So so take this seriously. Pursue him because this is now the core of who you are. And through his spirit, he actually wants to be at work in your life from the inside out. 
not simply from the outside in. So pursue him. And even in the midst of all that we're going through, hold tightly to that hope that we have because he's going to be faithful. Even when we're unfaithful, he will be faithful in finishing what he has started. And finally, as you do this, recognize this needs to be done in the context of relationships. We're not intended to do this on our own. We will flounder if we try to do what is described in the New Testament on our own. We're intended to be in community. We're intended to be in relationships where we are for others and others are for us. This, this is the new covenant. This is the new covenant that shows us God isn't simply working for us. He's also working in us and through us. Let's pray together. Gracious God, um, we come to this very famous passage in Jeremiah, which is then alluded to and described more fully in Hebrews chapters 8 and 10. Father, I pray, I pray particularly now in, in all that we've gone through and maybe all the distractions, just some of the weightiness that, that some of us are experiencing, maybe even now, maybe even weightiness that, that makes this sermon hard to listen to because it doesn't seem real. Father, I pray your spirit would break through just in this moment and say, this is what, this is what I'm doing. Some of us just need to hear again, this is what we are a part of. The reality that you are working for us and you are working in us and you are working through us. Father, may we, may we hold tightly to this hope. And Father, I pray that the, the reminder of the new covenant would also bring us back to the truth that we are in this together. The reality is over the last year, so much that we have gone through has caused division in relationships. It's divided us in all sorts of ways. And yet, if, if we take the new covenant seriously, we have to take these new relationships seriously. So maybe the reminder of the biblical storyline draws us back into the truth that we are in this together. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we start a new week, I, I pray that you can do so in light of this new covenant anticipated by Jeremiah. This covenant that shows us that God isn't simply working for us. He is working in us and through us. Amen.